Well, it is a, a wonderful privilege and honor to be invited to preach this morning in conjunction with your 150th anniversary celebration of how God has worked in and through. And welcome to those of you online, and maybe some of you online are watching because this church has had a tremendous impact on you through the generations and who knows where you are all around the world. And so it's very exciting to, to see that, to be here. One of the things that I have the privilege of, so I oversee our denomination, and I travel a lot and talk to a lot of pastors, and I am impressed by how many pastors have a connection with this church. That I'll be talking with this church, and we'll be talking a little bit, and they'll say, oh, yeah, I, I came to faith in this church. I was called to ministry in this church, or I knew I was going into ministry, but I didn't know where, and through the love and care and nurture of this church, they are now pastors with us in ECO. And I know that that is only the tip of the iceberg of one sphere that you have had an impact throughout the world in the last 150 years. This whole weekend of speakers coming in who have been nurtured and grown and learned how to, to minister and to share the word of God throughout the world because of the faithfulness of this church. So 150 years of faithfulness. How many founding members here? Right? None? Oh, some of you are may, you're not actually founding members unless you're 160 and then I'm going to get, you know, Guinness Book of World Records here. But... Right, the idea is, of course, no one is a founding member, that you are responsible for stewarding what God has entrusted, the legacy, throughout generations to move forward in the next 150 years. And I got to read some of your histories and things that have been put together and to hear the wonderful things that God has done. And yet, like many churches, you tend to define yourself by the pastor that was present at the time. And so either this was the season where we had very short tenures or this was the blank era, fill in the name of the pastor, is that we can define ourselves in that way. And you have had wonderful pastors who have led you, not only senior pastors, but associates and directors and ministry staff. You have had wonderful people who have led you into mission and ministry. And because of that, sometimes we can think, great, we pay people to do ministry on our behalf. And some of you are, you know, when do we get the next pastor? And when we get the next pastor, we can really hit on the gas. And Randy has done a wonderful job preparing you for that season. But some of the things that a transition time offers is it allows you to retake the mission of the church. To remember that the mission of the church is not dependent on the building. It's not dependent upon the organization, the senior leadership. It's dependent upon each and every one of us fulfilling how God has called us in our life. And so as I prayed and as I thought about the text this morning, I landed on Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 9. I had no idea that you were going to be starting a series on the book of Acts, so delighted to, to be able to, in God's sovereignty, kick that off. But it's an interesting uh, season in Acts because Jesus has died, and that we know that when Jesus died, if you remember those stories, the disciples, they didn't know what to do. They went back to their old lives. 
It was like Jesus was a rock band and they were groupies and they were following him around. And then when he stopped going on tour, okay, I guess we go back to our old lives. And so Jesus appears over the course of 50 days to be able to remind them, not that he is going to physically be their leader in that way, but how do they live in this time of transition? And so I want you to hear the word of the Lord from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up from heaven. And after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift from my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. As we look at this passage, we realize that this is not just another book. This is actually a, a sequel. It's volume two of what Luke has already written. That Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, wrote about the life and the ministry of Jesus, and he is writing to Theophilus who is uh, likely not a real person, but it means one who is a friend of God or a lover of God. He's writing to people who love and want to follow God, and he says, I want to give you these proofs. I want to give you the evidence. You are educated people. You need to know that the person of Jesus that you are following is not some mythical figure or legend, but he really did what he said he was going to do, and he is worthy of us following him. And that Jesus, during those days, then, he said, prepared the disciples. He prepared them for what life was going to be like in that time of transition after he was no longer their physical leader. And what does he tell them? They want to know, hey, is this the time that you're going to make Israel great again? And he said, hey, it's not for you to know that stuff, but here's what you need to know. You will be my witnesses. No ifs, no ands, no buts, no excuses, no whatever. You will be my witnesses. And that's the reality for us. Is that we are witnesses for good or sometimes for bad about the love and goodness of Jesus to the world around us. Notice Jesus doesn't say, hey, I know you're really busy, but if you have time, would you maybe consider being my witnesses? Right? I, I know you got to take kids to soccer practice and you have PEO or, you know, you're, you're involved in the Elks Club. Well, you know, whatever it is, I know you're busy, but if you have a little extra time, will you be my witness? He says, no, you will be my witnesses. 
It's a reminder for us that the mission of the church is not optional. That it is not that we as a church have a mission that we pursue. It's actually that God has a mission that he is pursuing and the church, you and me, and us in it are the tools and the instruments to bring that mission into the world. Amen? We are God's instruments. See, a lot of times churches will pursue their mission until things get a little uncomfortable or awkward or the uh, infrastructure of the church is in jeopardy. So the first church I served at, I was 25 and average age was 75 and it was a, it was a small church and in the, the midst of that we had done some uh, good outreach ministry to the neighborhood which was a, a lot of apartments and uh, low income housing and so forth and so we would do great ministry in the fellowship hall but the carpet in there was an absolute mess and it was going to cost 2500 to fix it and we just didn't have that kind of money. So people, they raised money over a period of time. After six months, we had the money to re-carpet the fellowship hall. And this dear sweet lady Joan comes to me afterwards and goes, Pastor Dana, now that we have new carpet in here, we probably shouldn't eat in the fellowship hall. <laughs> and I said, you're right. We absolutely should not fellowship in the fellowship hall. <laughs> right? And she's, oh yeah, I, I don't know what I was thinking. I, I go, no, I know exactly what you're thinking. It's okay, we all think about that is that we want to pursue the mission until it's uncomfortable, until it threatens us, until we have to sacrifice. And then our mission actually becomes preservation, not what God has us to do. And so Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, and you will do so in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, a lot of times churches will take that verse and what they glean out of that or how they apply it is they look at their own ministry in concentric circles. So they will say, here, our Jerusalem is kind of our local area. Our Judea is, you know, the larger county. Samaria might be, you know, the United States. And then to the ends of the earth are our worldwide missions. And that's an appropriate use of the text. But I also think that Jesus mentions these four places because there were four very different kinds of people to whom the disciples would have to minister to and you will get to watch that journey throughout the rest of Acts. And that each of these people in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth, usually you would have to go to those places in order to minister them to now with our global community, you don't have to go to the ends of the earth the ends of the earth are here, aren't they? You don't have to go to the ends of the earth. You may not even have to go to the end of your street to see the type of individuals that Jesus is talking about. So who are these people? Well, first of all, in Jerusalem. How many of you have ever been to Jerusalem? Okay, it's okay to raise your hand. Yeah, good, a lot of you. It's a very religious city, isn't it? It's a very religious city and you see people walking in groups of 10, you know, dressing in uh, religious, you know, their, their religious clothing and all of that kinds of going on. If you stayed in a hotel on a Saturday, their Sabbath, you will notice likely that you don't push a button on the elevators. They stop at every floor because that would be doing work. So it was a very religious city. It's always been the case. But the problem was in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is that sometimes they got so caught up on the do's and don'ts and rights and wrongs and the checklist of their religion that they lost their relationship with God. 
They were so caught up in doing for God that they forgot about being with God. And so what Jesus says to the disciples is you need to be my witnesses even to the religious people. That yes, we need to share the good news of Jesus with those who do not know it. But we also need to share the good news of Jesus with each other. We need to be reminded of who we are in Christ. We need to be reminded of the love that Jesus has extended for us. And I know that's true of me. I know that I can get so caught up with doing that I forget about being. I mean, heck, I work for Jesus, right? <laughs> in that way. And yet sometimes I can even take my identity on my own accomplishments and, and what I do rather than on being an adopted child of God. And so I need people in my life who remind me that, Dana, you are not what you do. You are a beloved child of God who has been adopted by Jesus Christ, clothed in his righteousness, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Amen? And we need to remind each other of that because sometimes we get in the motion of church and everything that we forget that fundamental truth. So we need to be witnesses to each other. He says, and then you need to be witnesses in Judea. Now, Judea was the surrounding community and uh, to the idea being that the real Jews lived in Jerusalem and the people that lived in Judea were the people who were, you know, sort of Jewish. And so the uh, the idea in our, the translation for us are, you know, the people who would proclaim that they are Christians and yet have no evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in their life, have no evidence of following him. Eddie Gibbs, uh, who used to be a professor at Fuller, wrote a book called In Name Only, The Challenge of Evangelizing Nominal Christians. And, and he said, nominal Christians, he said that, that can be anywhere from, from people who show up to, to church and go through the motions, but again, have no evidence of the Spirit working in and through them, people that show up Christmas and Easter, or simply people that would just check off on a box that they are Christian and, and yet aren't connected in any way, shape, or form. Now, if you, uh, my siblings, unfortunately, fall into this last category, that if you ask my siblings, are they a Christian, they would say yes. Well, so great. Um, who do you do the Christian life with, right? Where, where are you involved church-wise? Are your finances and life geared around Jesus' ministry? Or is your life morally in line with the word of God? And the answer to all of that is, is no. And so why do you call yourself a Christian? And they said, well, because I believe that Jesus died 2,000 years ago and rose again. And again, not that our works save us, but as James says, right, faith without works is dead. And so the challenge is, how do we minister to people who say they're Christians because they believe some facts? Or my favorite one is, I know I'm a Christian because my grandma made cookies for VBS, right? Like, automatically, that makes me a Christian. Okay, I've never actually heard anyone say that, but stuff that's pretty close, and so the challenge is, how do, we, how do we share our faith with people who just think that being a Christian is believing certain facts? 
And that's probably less common here than, you know, places in the South where there's more of cultural Christianity that is occurring. And yet, we need to look at our lives and the people around us and to say, how do we witness to the true love and good news of Jesus? And that it's not just about adopting a set of facts. It's about a life-changing relationship with Jesus that we want to offer to you. So then he says, you're to be my witnesses in Samaria. Now, scholars will sometimes debate whether Judea and Samaria, whether Jesus is trying to make those one thing or two, because Samaria is actually located inside of Judea. It's a smaller region inside of Judea. So why does Jesus pick Samaria out? Well, because Samaria was even more further gone than the people in Judea. That throughout the Old Testament... The Samaritans had a history of picking and choosing the parts of Scripture they liked and discarding the parts that they don't like and making a religion that fit their needs rather than coming under the authority of God. Now, thank goodness nobody does that anymore. (laughs) Right? I'm just kidding. Right? That that is our culture. I pick a little bit of this and a little bit of that and I like these words and I don't like these words and I make a religion that fits my needs rather than coming under the authority of Jesus, which ultimately is what's going to fulfill our need anyway. But people picking and choosing, people picking and and distorting the faith or leaving the faith altogether because that's what happened with the Samaritans. By the time of the New Testament, the Samaritans had been completely outside of of the bounds of the Jewish faith. Now, you hear the the story of the Good Samaritan, but that isn't to affirm their theology. It's just that Jesus is saying, hey, even the Samaritans who have way lost it theologically, even they love their neighbor as their self. But he's not affirming their theological beliefs. And so we're to be witnesses to that. To people in our lives who have twisted the faith, who have left the faith. And that is a huge issue around you all in this county. When I was looking at your, um, your demographic data that I can pull off from a, a website that we have, in the last 10 years, 3% of people who were not Christian became Christian. Thanks be to God. But 16% of people who were Christians say they are no longer. 16% in 10 years have left the faith. We are called, you are called to minister to them. And you don't need to wait for a new pastor to do that. Right? You don't need to go to the ends of the earth. You don't need to go to little, literal Samaria for that around us, on our neighborhoods, in the places we work, in the places we live and play, there are people who, for a variety of reasons, have walked away from the faith, and we are called to be the light and love of Jesus to them. And then Jesus says, to the ends of the earth. This actually would have been surprising for the Jewish people to hear a lot of times because they thought, well, God was for them. You know, God was for them, for our region. Yeah, I get Judea, I get Samaria, but to the ends of the earth, no, God is for us as the nation of Israel. But they shouldn't be surprised because even way back in Genesis 12, God says to Abram, I'm gonna make you a great nation so that you will bless others. You will be blessed to be a blessing. That you are blessed to be a blessing. 
to the ends of the earth. And right now, we have the ends of the earth here. I love the missions that you support. I love um, hearing Maria yesterday afternoon talk. And if you, if you miss that, too bad because it's not recorded because of sensitivity stuff. But it was so good about what God's doing at the ends of the earth. But the ends of the earth are also on our street. The people who come from all kinds of different backgrounds. The people who, who don't understand, who never actually know what Christianity is actually about. And I think that is so good that we don't even have to deal with the baggage. We just get to present the good news of Jesus, which is so good. It's so good and it's so powerful. And with your global community, you get to do that probably any day you choose. Here's the last little piece of encouragement of the passage. Jesus is not gonna be their leader anymore. He was taken out of their sight right then. But he says, you're not going to be left alone. You will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That these red banners who are up, that are up here that uh, recognize and remember when the power came upon the people to be able to minister. See, you don't need a lead pastor in order to be led into mission. Now, I'm excited for that season and I've got ideas and working with you know, your session and all that. I think that's great, but you don't have to wait for that. What you need to wait for, and you don't even need to wait for it, is the power of the Spirit. You will receive power, dynamic power to be my witnesses. You will be led not from the front, but you will be led from within so that your works and your words and your life will have an impact on the people around you, not because of your power, but the power of the Spirit. Amen? Let's be a little more enthusiastic. Amen? <laughs> and so I want to pray for us. I want to pray for you. And I want to leave some time of silence because I know there are probably people in your life that represent Jerusalem, that represent Judea, that, you know, they just think Christianity is checking off a box or I'm born a Christian or all of that. You may have people in Samaria that have twisted the faith or have left the faith that are on your heart. Or people from the ends of the earth who have never heard the good news of Jesus and you might know about them or interact with them in your neighborhood or in whatever group you are a part of, that I hope these kind of people that I mentioned represent individuals in your life. And so I want to pray that God would put those people on your heart and that he would give you the power to be witnesses. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to have it all figured out. But through the power of the Spirit that your life and your words as needed will be a testimony of the goodness of God. And I want to pray that that continues for the next 150 years at Grace Commons. That you would make grace common in this community. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have called us and saved us and redeemed us. Lord, all of those, those great words that we have and know that it isn't what we have earned that made you love us. It is because of who you are. And so, Lord, I know that oftentimes when we have proclaimed your name for many years that 
It can become standard and it can just become knowledge that we have in the back of our lives and we still go about living our life like the rest of the world around us. And so I pray that each and every one of us here and listening online that we would be reminded of your grace and goodness who has made us in your image and who has adopted us as sons and daughters of the King. And that Lord, you may put power upon each and every one here. Power to be your witnesses. To not have excuses of of time or energy or knowledge or waiting for this or for that. But to go this day and to be witnesses. And I pray, Lord, that in this time of silence that you would put individual people on our hearts that are represented by these categories that we might be able to intentionally be witnesses and look for those opportunities where you will open up their lives and hearts for us to share the good news. So Lord, put those people on our hearts right now. And Lord, we lift those people to you. The hundreds or thousands of people that you've put on our hearts that need to know your love and goodness. And so I pray that for the start of the next 150 years for this church, that what it would be known for is the way in which all of the people live out your love to the world around them. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.